Welcome one and all to Unknown Friends. This is my weekly book review podcast, and today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 12. I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson from Kitty Wayne Productions, and I am so glad you've tuned into today's episode. Just a quick announcement for those of you who have become supporters of the Unknown Friends podcast on Patreon. The bonus end of the month episode is available now, which gives you a heads up about all the books I will be reviewing in April. And in it, I also read aloud the first chapter of one of those books. So uh, patrons, if you have already subscribed to that bonus podcast feed, the episode should show up in your podcast app. But if you haven't subscribed, just go to your Unknown Friends subscription on Patreon, and you'll see the link there, which takes you to the monthly bonus episodes. All right, now let's talk about this week's book. Charles Portis's novel published in 1968, True Grit. Now, first, about Charles Portis himself. He was born in 1933, born and raised in Arkansas, though his family moved some between different towns. His dad was a school superintendent, and he greatly disapproved of this, but Charles, at 18, despite his father's disapproval, enlisted in the Marines in the Korean War in uh, 1952. He served for three years, rose to the rank of sergeant, and then came back home in 1955, at which time he began studying journalism at the University of Arkansas, where he graduated in 1958. During and after college, he started writing for various newspapers, and his career as a journalist was looking very successful. He lived and worked for a few years in New York City. He had a bright future in journalism. But in 1964, in his early 30s, he surprised his colleagues by moving back home to Arkansas, announcing that he was going to move into a fishing shack and write novels. And that's what he did. Two years later, he published his first book titled Norwood. And then just two years after that, he published True Grit, which was to become his most popular work and is generally considered his masterpiece. Both of these novels were first published serially, and they both were made into films shortly after their publication. You may be familiar with the John Wayne movie True Grit. Uh, John Wayne as the grisly, uh, one-eyed Marshal Rooster Cogburn. That film came out in 69, quite quickly after the book. And then in 1970, Portis's first novel, Norwood, became a movie as well. Starring, interestingly, some of the same leads as in the True Grit film, minus John Wayne. Anyway, then over the next 20-25 years, Portis wrote just three more novels, um, and if you're like me, you've never heard of them before. They were titled The Dog of the South, Masters of Atlantis, and Gringos. True Grit is the only of his novels I had ever heard of before, and of course it's the only one I've now read. Throughout his life, Portis shunned publicity. He didn't really like the idea of being thought of as a recluse, 
and he pointed out to people that his name was in the Little Rock, Arkansas phone book, but he did avoid publicity. Uh, Often, though not always, refused interviews and avoided photographers. He, uh, He never married or had children, and he remained in Arkansas for the rest of his long life. Actually, he died just one year ago in February 2020 from Alzheimer's disease at age 86. So, True Grit. This is an interesting book, quite unlike anything I've reviewed up to this point. Uh, Of course, it's a Western, well, of sorts, and I've never discussed a Western novel on the podcast. The closest I've come is probably uh, Peace Like a River last season, which draws elements from the tradition of Western fiction, Uh, but it's decidedly not a Western novel per se. True Grit is a real Western novel, but has kind of its own spin on the genre. When it was first published in 1968, it very quickly became popular and was dubbed an American classic, kind of in the vein of Huckleberry Finn. And it was added to many high schools' literature curriculums, some of you may remember. But then it seems it sort of drifted out of people's attention over the years, until 10 or 15 years ago when it had a kind of revival in tandem with a second film version that was released in 2010, which I've heard is more faithful to the novel than the John Wayne movie was. I have not seen either film, but by all accounts, the more recent version, surprisingly, is a truer adaptation. So, but what is the storyline? So True Grit is narrated from the point of view of a 14-year-old girl named Mattie Ross, although I say that, um, but really she is a middle-aged woman by the time she's telling her story. So more accurately, it's the voice of a middle-aged spinster talking, but the tale she's telling happened back when she was 14. So back in 1878 is when the events of the story are supposed to take place, when Mattie's father, Frank Ross, is murdered by one of his hired hands, Tom Cheney. Frank had left home for a couple days to go and buy some horses and had taken Cheney along to help. But when Cheney got into a barroom brawl and Frank stepped in to intervene, Cheney pulled a gun and shot Frank and took all the money he was carrying and fled. And now, Matty, Frank's incredibly determined and independent daughter, is determined to avenge her father's death and bring Tom Cheney to justice. So at the start of the book, she explains what has happened and what her mission is, and she starts looking for help to find Cheney and get him punished. She asks around, wanting to find the best, toughest U.S. Marshal in the region for her to hire to track down Cheney, and she's introduced to Marshal Rooster Cogburn. More properly, Reuben Cogburn, but no one calls him that. Rooster drinks a lot and is overweight and one-eyed, but he has a reputation for being rugged, bold, and maybe even a little trigger-happy. Uh, There's a fascinating trial that takes place fairly early in the novel that introduces us to Rooster's somewhat controversial character. He was hunting down a couple of murderers, and 
in the process of apprehending them, most of them died. And his account of how exactly things went down is slightly at odds with the evidence. And yet, he honestly doesn't seem unreasonably trigger-happy. What the trial reveals is not that Rooster is necessarily a shady character, although believe me, we are not to view him as a perfect character either, but this trial, uh, theoretically unconnected with Matty's own story, reveals that life and law in this rough territory is not easy or obvious, with justice having to be administered by tenacious marshals hired from all sorts of different backgrounds. The marshals have to be gritty men willing to resort to violence and dangerous situations if they judge it necessary on the spur of the moment. Because very often, someone is going to die. And it's either the marshal or the outlaw, and the marshal has to make that call on his own to the best of his ability. Some marshals tend to be more merciful and risk their own lives more often, while others like Rooster tend to play it safe and, you could say, assume their opponents guilty until proven innocent. And frankly, it seems that Rooster is usually right, but his approach has earned him the reputation as one of the toughest marshals in the territory. And that is exactly what Matty once. So Maddie approaches Rooster and, after some bartering, convinces him to take the job she offers uh, to hunt down Tom Cheney and bring him to justice. And meanwhile, another lawman gets involved, a Texas ranger named Labeef, who is already on Cheney's trail for a murder he committed earlier in Texas. So Rooster and Labeef team up to track down Cheney, who it's believed has joined a local outlaw gang. But Maddie Ross is not content to send Rooster and Labeef off on their own on this mission. She insists on going with them. And it takes quite a bit of persistence on her part to get them to agree, but persistence is this girl's middle name. So eventually, very grudgingly, the two men accept her. And they all three set out together into the wilderness to find Cheney. Then what ensues is a fairly efficient adventure in which they find the trail of the outlaws, do some questioning, do some fighting, and eventually locate Cheney and engage in a final conflict of rather dramatic proportions, which I won't go into in detail to avoid spoilers. Um, so overall, I enjoyed True Grit. I don't really read westerns, but I think this was probably more accessible to someone like me than many westerns would be, since it was narrated in a woman's voice and from her point of view. And also since it even slightly pokes fun at some tropes of western fiction, even while it uses them. Really, the whole book was a lot funnier than I expected, or even than I realized reading it for a while. I think I went into the novel looking a little too hard for moral questions and answers, and it's not that there aren't any, but the book's just not as serious as I was for some reason expecting. Yes, the book is about grit, it's about 
what toughness looks like, sometimes in unexpected places, as in Matty Ross herself, who's possibly the toughest character in the story, certainly as tough as Rooster in her own way. But the book's moral questions and answers, I think, are very much grounded in its own context and can't really be taken out of that context. It's asking what grit looks like in these particular circumstances, this wild world where people kill each other in cold blood and you have to be willing to defend yourself or protect others in an instant and shoot back or even shoot first if you fear for your life, which is not an unlikely situation to find yourself in. Uh, What the book is not doing I don't think, is trying to make broad, universal claims about integrity and honor. Um, But that's kind of what I went in looking for at first, which was my mistake. And, of course, I'm not saying that we should turn off our moral compass ever when we are reading a book or watching a movie. Um, I've actually been in a discussion recently about this very question of how to evaluate a story's morality, and I strongly believe we should always have our brains and our consciences engaged when we are taking in a story. But without negating that at all, it is also true that different stories make moral claims on different levels. And we do need to recognize on what level a story's morality is to be evaluated. So is this book genuinely trying to convince me of some moral or immoral premise, uh, according to which it wants me to think and live? Or is this book staying more on the surface of life? Yes, painting certain character qualities in a positive light and others in a negative one, but not necessarily digging down into the concerns of the soul in a deep way. I would say True Grit is a story of this second type. It has a general moral sensibility that it's willing to promote, but it's not very concerned with the profound soul questions that some stories want to explore. Uh, Anyway, I don't know if that made sense. It was kind of a rabbit trail. Uh, Maybe I should just do a bonus episode on this topic or something, because it is complicated and and hard to briefly summarize all my thoughts. Uh, But let me just re-emphasize that regardless of a book's intent, whether its moral concerns are serious or surfacey, I do think we should never turn off our minds and just accept a story's morality blindly. We should always be evaluating and refusing to consent mentally or emotionally to immorality in any story, even when the author intends it lightheartedly. However, I'm not going to criticize a more casual book as severely as I would a book that is actively trying to communicate a worldview that I deeply disagree with. I I hope that makes sense. Anyway, sorry, back to True Grit. So, it does have a moral purpose, but not as serious a one as I had, for whatever reason, expected. Uh, It is concerned with justice and courage and endurance, and while Rooster is tested in these virtues and I think wins our approval by the end of the story, it's really Maddie 
who most exemplifies true grit throughout the book from beginning to end. She makes the book work and makes it worth reading. She's really a a fascinating character, and Charles Portis has done something absolutely intriguing in the way he lets her narrate the story. He once said in an interview that he wanted Matty, as the middle-aged narrator looking into the past, to come across as a woman who really wanted to get the story right. So she's very particular and detailed. She is absolutely practical unsentimental and hard-headed. She takes her job as narrator very seriously. Uh, It's funny, she hardly ever even uses contractions as she tells her story. Consider just the first line of the book. She writes, People do not give it credence that a 14-year-old girl could leave home and go off in the wintertime to avenge her father's blood. But it did not seem so strange then, although I will say it did not happen every day. Notice she doesn't say it didn't seem strange and didn't happen every day, but it did not. She's just very meticulous. This is part of her character. And ironically, this is where much of the story's humor comes in. Matty is conscientious, tenacious, and in a sense, humorless. But much of what she tells us about, like rooster, hungover, or Maddie's own skill in bartering with grown men is a little absurd, or, or certainly unexpected. But Maddie, the narrator's cool, deadpan description of all this is funny, in contrast to the, the slightly ridiculous subject matter. And what you get as a result is a very dry, sarcastic story, not intended as funny by Maddie, but it's certainly intended as funny by Charles Portis himself. It's quite remarkable how he contrives this effect. Uh, Matty, as a narrator, is thoroughly reliable when it comes to the details of what happens, and she is admirable and likable in how she perseveres through great hardship and suffering. And yet, at the same time, we can see things from a slightly different angle than she sees them, even though we're getting all our information from her. It's not really that she is, quote-unquote, an unreliable narrator in the traditional sense, but her story has more layers than even she recognizes. It's, It's really fascinating and funny and also endearing. She is a very sympathetic character, uh, because even if we chuckle sometimes at her stony lack of emotion or humor, we also deeply respect it. And I think that is a testament to Portis's skill as a writer. So all in all, I recommend this book for what it is. Don't take it quite as seriously as I tried to at first or as seriously as Mattie herself takes it, and I think you'll enjoy it. It's fun, it's adventuresome, and it does feature characters who are admirable in their own ways, even though they are clearly imperfect. 
Uh, of course, I don't recommend this book for kids, just for teens and up. There is some language, not as much as there could be, thankfully, but still some. And of course, as you'd expect, there's some violence and a few kind of gory descriptions. Not excessive, because Maddie is not an excessive narrator, but in her style, candid, realistic descriptions. So this might not be a book for you if you're very squeamish. But with those caveats, if True Grit sounds like a book you'd enjoy, I hope you give it a try. It is a light read, but a very interesting study in narratorial voice, if you will. And if for no other reason, I think it's worth reading uh, since it's a story that has been identified as an American classic, justly. And I think that is all I have to say about True Grit. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope you've enjoyed this week's review. Next week, in our 13th episode of Season 2, I am so excited to be discussing another Elizabeth Gaskell novel, North and South, this time. You'll recall that last season I reviewed her book Wives and Daughters, which I thoroughly enjoyed and very, very highly recommended. At the end of the year, I actually ranked it among my top three favorite books I had read in 2020. And this spring, I greatly enjoyed reading North and South for the first time. It's probably more well-known than Wives and Daughters, and I, I can't wait to discuss it on the podcast. As always, I'm your unknown friend's host, Rochelle Ferguson, and if you're interested in learning more about me and my writing, just visit my website, kittywayneproductions.com, which is linked in this episode's description. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday for our discussion of North and South, and between now and then, I hope you have a blessed Easter and a wonderful week.